You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that So today on This Day in Packers History, it's actually a very, very cool episode. Um, two years ago, um, on the 9th, so you figure it happened the 9th, the 10th is the first day I talked about it, we had hired Mike Pettin. Interestingly enough, this is all just a couple of days after Brian Gutekunst was promoted. So we knew that Ted Thompson was going to be stepping aside. We didn't know how that was all going to be figured out. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And um, it's a lot of fun to hear about. I mean, some of the stuff I had forgotten. Um, so again, it's it's a great flashback to uh, to that transformational thing. You know, it's, it's funny because we just got done listening to last year at this time when we had hired Matt LaFleur. This is actually a bigger deal. New GM and defensive coordinator, new structure to the team. You know, the first time when this this team that has been the same forever is starting to change. This was This was actually the first time it all started to happen. So anyways, that's what today is about. We'll take a break and uh, otherwise I'll talk to you tomorrow. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones and to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So there's been a lot of changes. I wanted to come on here earlier, but, um, you know, there was talk about on Tuesday they're going to be able to interview Vic Fangio. So I assumed, well, on Tuesday we're going to find out who the defensive coordinator is. And we did. Um, and I, I'm excited, but we've got a new GM. Well, I, I shouldn't even. There's a new structure to the uh, the top of the organization. We'll say there's a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, and that's where I want to focus my time because that's about all I have time to talk about. Most of this you're already aware of, but I, I just want to kind of give my insights and everything that I know I the last time I did a podcast what I had said was ideally 
I would like to see Gutekunst as the GM and somebody like um, Jack Del Rio as the defensive coordinator. That was sort of my dream. But I don't think Del Rio was ever really in the conversation. But we got something pretty, well, fairly similar. So for those that don't know, which I don't think is anybody, but let me just sort of break it down as best as I can. There is sort of a new structure in which it seems as though Mark Murphy is going to be much more actively involved in the football operation. As best as I can tell, what we have been saying about him, in which you know his focus is on his sledding hill and all this stuff, he's sort of an absentee landlord, I feel like there's maybe some legitimacy to that, and Mark Murphy maybe recognized that. And he himself said, I'm going to take a much more active role because the guys underneath me aren't really doing their job. Furthermore, it seemed as though maybe Ted Thompson was at the top of the hill, so to speak, and he was just sort of the patriarch of the group, and he kind of just did what he wanted. I think Mike McCarthy wanted certain players. He wasn't getting them. I think our defensive coordinator wanted more help. He wasn't getting it. And I just feel as though Mark Murphy is saying the communication wasn't there. We weren't on the same page. Ted Thompson has had his agenda. Mike McCarthy had his agenda. Our defensive coordinator had you know, his, his vision for the defense and for the team. And there was not enough talking together. And I think Russ Ball was a part of that as well, being a big part of the free agency portion. Um, and there just wasn't enough communication, and Mark Murphy said, enough of that. I'm going to make sure this team does better, and I'm going to make sure that there is more communication. And I think Mike McCarthy maybe got in his ear and said, whoever the next GM is had better be listening to me or I'm walking out the door because this is nonsense. That's my impression. I don't know that. There were rumors that he was ready to walk if Russ Ball was the guy. Don't know if that's true or not. No idea. But that's sort of my feeling, anyways. Mark Murphy is taking a more active role in making sure that this thing doesn't get squandered. Because I, I, I had said that all through last year. It just felt like everybody was complacent. Everybody was comfortable. Everybody was just kind of doing their own thing. Everybody felt secure in their job. And I think Mark Murphy, at the top, is making sure that there is a new feeling in Green Bay that nobody should be comfortable. And I think Gutekunst echoed that all the way down through the players, saying that they were starting to feel complacent. They were starting to feel comfortable in their job. Nobody's coming in fighting for their job. They're not bringing new people in. They bring in people that are from the draft, and they're obviously not going to take over the jobs of the veterans. Right? The veteran, I mean, you, you got guys like Matthews and Perry, and these guys, and the, 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 the MO of Ted Thompson is to retain his key guys so they could feel comfortable doing their thing. They're going to draft some people. It's just sort of like a, I don't know, I don't, I, sort of like a federal government job. <laughs> it's probably like a lot of jobs, but we'll, we'll kind of disparage the federal government for a moment and say that it's sort of like a government job where you just kind of you get in, you get your tenure, and then you're secure. And you'll work here until you either get a new job or retire. And that's, that's no more. And you can see that with the turnover on offense, on defense, on personnel side, people are getting let go. Mark Murphy is setting that tone, and I think Gutekunst is following that up, letting the players know there is a new sheriff in town. 
and we're going to do everything we can. He, he specifically went out of his way to say we're going to try to make people uncomfortable and make it feel as though they're ready to lose their job. And I think that's fair. I think just about everybody on this team should feel that way. With the exception of Aaron Rodgers, I can't think of too many people who should feel secure. That was a big part of what I said at the end of the season. This is an evaluation to see who really wants to, to step up. In Rodgers' last game, that was a big opportunity to say, you know what, we got a shot here. Who's going to step up? Who's going to rise to the occasion? Some guys did and some guys didn't. Guys like Clay Matthews, veteran guy, he didn't step up. He had a terrible game. He played horribly in that game. That's not acceptable. And this whole notion that, you know, whenever we need help, we're just going to look to undrafted free agents, that's nonsense. So on the top end, there is a new feel. There is a, there's, there's a new excitement, I think, for, throughout the fan base, in the organization. And I think as far as the players are concerned, it's, it's, it's a, I, I can say that there's excitement, but I don't know if that's across the board because I think what you have is the same thing you would have in, let's say, a job. It doesn't have to be federal government. It could be any job where there was complacency and a new boss comes in and says you're going to be judged based on performance. You've got high-performing guys who are saying, yes, finally, thank you. Let's get rid of some of this dead weight. And then you got some of the underperforming guys who are floating, who feel nervous, who maybe start to get a little upset and resentful. You know, you get sort of that union mentality where I'm entitled to this job. How dare you come in here and say, I don't deserve this. This is mine. I earned this. I put in the work. Those guys are maybe not going to be too happy. They like Ted Thompson's model a little better. I'm the guy. So, to... to what I wanted to do about four minutes ago, these specific titles, and I mentioned that these are just kind of shuffling things and just ways of giving people promotions or whatever, but it seems as though Ted Thompson's title was kind of split into two categories. There's the GM, and then there's the executive vice president label. That got split in half, and Gutekunst was given the GM side. The executive VP side was given to Russ Ball. Um, but also, another interesting note, Russ Ball has a second title to his name. Russ Ball's full title, Executive Vice President, Director of Football Operations. That second half, Director of Football Operations, that is currently Elliot Wolf's job. So when we say that Elliot Wolf has been kind of left out in terms of everybody getting a promotion, he hasn't just been left out. His job has gone to Russ Ball. So I don't know what... Elliot Wolf's position is with the organization. It's it's very unlikely he comes back, not only because other teams are going to give him opportunities, the Packers just gave away his job. So I'm sure he has a job, and it, you, you could even say he has a promotion waiting for him when he comes back. Who knows what the title could be. But in terms of Elliot Wolf, my contention is the Packers organization, you know, the, the NFL is a, it's a reputation business. Everybody has a reputation, and I think everybody across the NFL knows what your reputation is because it's such a small community. Everybody kind of knows everybody. There's so much turnover. Even if the Packers are tight-lipped about things, there's so many guys that have left the organization that are in different organizations that are talking. The buzz gets around, and it gets around quickly. And if I were to guess or rank how these, these executives rank, it would be at the top, Russ Ball. 
he's sort of the top guy that they did not want to give up. Now, I'm, I'm guessing they wanted to give him the GM job just to keep him, but they couldn't do that. You know, again, Mark, Mike McCarthy and some of the other guys, they did not like that. So they came up with this other structure. But th- this is the guy that they never allowed him to talk to anybody. They never talked about him. He was kind of le- kept low-key. He was one of the biggest power brokers in Green Bay, and they had to keep him. Just beneath Russ Ball, I think, was Gutekunst. I I had heard his name talked about when it was mentioned as GM candidates. Even though Wolf was kind of the big name, he carries the the Wolf name with Ron Wolf and that whole big thing. And he's he's gotten like 16 every year. The guy gets a raise, and it just kind of seemed like he was a big wig. Gutekunst is the guy. You want to talk reputation? Whenever a GM job came up, Gutekunst was the first one on a plane. And that happened this year, too. He was on a plane all over the place. He was heading over to Houston, and Green Bay said, you know what, you got the job. They did not want to lose him. I think beneath him was Elliot Wolf, and I, I feel like there's a rather big drop. That's just my feeling. I don't know. But it just seems as though Ball and Gutekunst are sort of the big wigs. Elliot Wolf is very liked. He's very respected. He's very talented. He's very hardworking. But I kind of feel like the Packers liked him in his director of football operations um, title and didn't really, you know, get rid of Gutekunst and Ball, sure, we'll, we'll hire him as the GM. But I don't feel like he had the same kind of weight and respect that Gutekunst has. I think you see that in Green Bay as well as you see that across the NFL. Gutekunst always was getting all the interviews. Wolf had some, Gutekunst had a lot more. Beneath him, you had Alonzo Highsmith, and I think the reason he got a job very quickly is because the Packers kind of knew he wasn't really in contention. They let him walk pretty early. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't want to retain him. Incredibly talented. Obviously, they like him a lot, but they knew 100% he wasn't going to be the GM, so when the opportunity came for him to get a job elsewhere, they were like, oh, that sucks, but all right, fine. And I think Alonzo knew that too. He could kind of see what was in front of him. He didn't really have a chance at a GM job. He knows Dorsey. I believe he's worked with Dorsey in the past over in Cleveland. So when the opportunity came, he took it. And I think everybody just kind of understood that that was just the way that it was just going to be that way. And nobody really put up much of a fight. That's my understanding of that end of it. I don't think Wolf comes back. I I think there's even a little bit of bitterness. I think Ron Wolf is a little bit upset with the way that this has gone down. But I, I, you know, Maybe I shouldn't even go down this territory, but I think his name carried him just a little bit too far. I think the weight of Ron Wolf was kind of pushing, and I think Elliot Wolf was kind of being pushed maybe a little more than he wanted to. I feel like he went as far as he was going to go at director of football operations in Green Bay, just kind of said, you know what, it's the end of the road. You don't like it, you can go pursue something somewhere else. And it's it's almost sort of a weight off your shoulders to have this, this titan, especially in Green Bay, of Ron Wolf pushing in the way that he's pushing. And I'm, maybe I shouldn't go down that road, but I'm just saying you, you could kind of see how that would happen. I mean, if, if he was worthy of the GM job, they would have given it to him. They didn't give it to him, and now Ron Wolf is, is going over elsewhere, trying to push his son on other organizations. You know, Again, not saying he's not worthy, but it, it just seems like there's a little bit of animosity now. Fine, forget you, we're leaving, Packers, you know, okay, fine, sorry, bye. There's a place for you if you want it. But I don't think they want it. I think they're a little upset. But whatever. I'm not too upset about it, I guess, is my my main thing. Elliot Wolf. Elliot Wolf did good here. Maybe he'll be back. Probably not. Best of luck to him. 
But anyways, before I move on to offensive and defensive coordinators, um, very quickly, the, the biggest thing that um, that everybody's really excited about it is it seems as though Gutekunst is very open to free agency. Now, I think a lot of this is overblown, and I try not to just get all excited whenever I see something on Twitter because you actually go to the source and listen to what the man says. You know, a lot of things I think get blown out of proportion as well as sometimes I just I don't hear what other people are hearing. But the comments that are made, it definitely seems as though, and knowing the organization, it feels as though there needed to be a change. And with Gutekunst not only talking about, um, you know, he mentioned every avenue, but every team does every avenue. Ted Thompson used every avenue. It's it's just using that as, as sort of blowing that out of proportion is just kind of silly to me. A lot of this is political talk. A lot of this is just fluff filler kind of stuff that everybody in the organization would say. But you, you definitely get the impression that he is more open to free agency. And I think that's good. I mean, it... What we need, as much as I love the draft and develop thing, we absolutely need to have, and, and what I liked about what he said was, every position needs to be competitive, or something something to that effect. And the Packers have not had that in the past. We have some very good positions. You know, on, on offense, we've got a great quarterback. We, we've got a, a decent enough running back group and plenty of competition between between the guys. Wide receivers, we have talent. Do we really have competition? I don't really know, but you know, we could say that that's fine. Tight end. Now, Ted Thompson did a lot with the tight ends, but throughout the season, it became evident that we had nothing, and nothing was really done. Not a, it, you can't just snap your fingers. There's not always available players. I get that. But another thing that he mentioned was, at some point, you have to identify players as not being good enough and move on. And Ted Thompson was horrible at that. And maybe you could even say Mike McCarthy was horrible at that, although that's still going to be his domain. Domain, But that was a big complaint I had, is these guys just aren't playing very well, and some guys are playing a little better, and the guys that aren't playing very well keep staying on the field, and the guys that seem to be ascending and really want to compete are sitting on the bench. And beyond that, the only real competition to guys like Demarius Randall are undrafted free agents, and that's nonsense. Even, you know... It, I probably should have went and got some quotes, but he there, there was even something to the effect of even if these guys aren't better, there needs to be competition. In other words, bring in a guy, bring in a free agent just to put a little fire under somebody, just to say, hey, this guy right here, he's got a lot of experience, he's worked with this defensive co- coordinator before, he knows the scheme, he's ready to play today. You mess up one time, and you're on the bench, and this guy takes your job, and you'll probably never play in the NFL again. That... Demarius Randall never had that kind of competition. His, his competition is what, Lindsey Pipkins? Demarius Randall's a first-round draft pick. You think he's scared of Lindsey Pipkins? And apparently he didn't need to be because he's played like garbage for three years and has had a job every day. Every day he's had a job on this team. And he's never earned it. He turned a corner a little bit toward the end of the season. He was playing decent football. But that's not good enough. That's not okay. Not when you have Aaron Rodgers. Not if you really want to believe in this reputation that Green Bay has a standard and blah, 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 blah. We didn't see a standard. So I hope Gutekunst is telling the truth. I I understand absolutely. You know, you can't just say, well, our pass defense isn't great. Let's go out and buy one. Although, take a look at Jacksonville for a second. You can do all right spending a little bit of money. Jacksonville paid for that defense. 
They've got a lot of talent on their own, but they paid for a lot of that. There are elite pieces, elite pieces on that defense that were just bought and paid for. And they have probably not only the best defense in the NFL right now, one of the best defenses I've seen, man. I mean, it, 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 it's better than Seattle's Legion of Boom. I don't think there's any question in my mind. Richard Sherman was very good. A.J. Boye and um, Jalen Ramsey are a better duo than anything Seattle's ever had, in my opinion. And then you couple that with their defensive line and their edge rushers and their linebackers, and it's just it's just insane how good they are. And again, some good pieces through the draft. The other pieces were bought and paid for. Unbelievable what they have. And now next year, you better believe they're going 100% all in on offense. That's the kind of thing that the Packers are missing out on. And those guys were available. A.J. Boye was available in free agency. A lot of these guys, and it's not just the Jaguars, other people around the league were available. Other teams around the league were buying up guys. We went and got two tight ends. And again, and everybody we went and got it, you know... I still don't understand why everybody was still saying that Ted Thompson really changed his philosophy this year. He never changed his philosophy. He got rid of the entire team, and then he he went out and got guys to replace the guys that are already there. He went out and got Jari Evans to replace T.J. Lang. He went out and got Martellus Bennett and what's-his-name Kendricks to replace Jared Cook. And he went out. Everybody he went out and got replaces somebody else. And in almost every category, they weren't as good. The one exception would be tight end, and even then, I had said the whole time, let's not get too carried away saying Martellus Bennett is better. And I think as we found out, he wasn't better. Ted Thompson went out and got filler pieces, and in in almost every category, every player he went out and got was less talented than the guys that we had. And they also have no cohesion with the team, they have no experience in the system, no experience with the current coaches. So it it just wasn't very well thought out. It was just, again, it wasn't what the Jaguars are doing. It wasn't this philosophy of let's go out and get key pieces to win a Super Bowl. It was just, I just purged the whole team. I guess we better go fill in the cracks because we have to fill out a roster somehow. That's how it felt. There's no big-name guys. I mean, Jari Evans used to be a big name, but the guy's like 35 years old. He hasn't been a pro bowler in like five years. We got Ahmad Brooks to replace Julius Peppers. Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you see the problem here? It it just it doesn't make any sense. So the difference would be with Brian Gutekunst is to have a bigger and more robust free agency process to not just fill in the gaps when, when the draft is over to say, well, we don't really have a guy good enough here. Let's go get a guy like House, which... it by the way, is just a joke. I mean, I, I understand you don't want to spend the money on a guy like Jalen Ramsey. Fine. But Devon House was never any good. He was never any good in Green Bay. He was never any good in Jacksonville. What in the heck are you planning on doing with him here? What is the point of this? Anyways, I'm running way too long on that. We're already 20 minutes in. we got to get over to Philbin and Mike Petten, our defensive coordinator. So Joe Philbin is a very good hire, and it's kind of hard to get a feel for how good it is. Um, I tried to go back and look at differences between when he wasn't here and when he was here, and there really wasn't much. 
In fact, I look back over at uh, Pro Football Reference over the course of the history of the Green Bay Packers and their offensive ranking, and um, basically since Mike Holmgren took over, this team has been a top 10 offense since basically forever. <laughs> it's just, it's incredible. I mean, it's there's no difference between between Philbin and not Philbin. There's not even really much of a difference between McCarthy, Sherman, and Holmgren. This offense, since Rodgers and um, and uh, Favre, has just been incredible. And when they say that there is a standard here and that standard wasn't met, I didn't realize the magnitude of that. This offense, the last time this offense ranked this poorly was, uh, let's see, 1977, and I'm just looking at points and yards here, with Starr as the quarterback, Bart Starr, Bob Barber was the best player on the team, supposedly, Lynn Dickey was the quarterback, threw for 1,300 yards, Barty Smith was the running back, 554 yards, Steve Odom was the top receiver, 549 yards, 27th in points, 27th in yards. This past year, we were 26th in yards. So, yeah, it was pretty bad. Pretty bad year. Since Holmgren took over, though, I just want to read this. In points, this is how we ranked. His first year, 17th. Since then, 6th, 4th, 6th, 1st, 2nd, 6th, 10th, 11th, 5th, 6th, 4th, 5th. Two rough years, 2005-2006, we ranked 22nd and 22nd. However, in yards, 18th and 9th, so still pretty decent offense. Then, starting in 2007, 4th, 5th, 3rd, 10th, 1st, 5th, 8th, 1st, 15th, 4th, this past year, 21st. That's incredible. A, a top 10 offense almost every single year in points, and the, and the yards followed almost exactly that. Basically the exact same trajectory. Exact same ranking. High, a little higher, a little lower here or there. Top 10 almost every year. That's incredible. That's insane. If I had more time, I would tell you this too, but you you got to go back and look over the course of this entire... It, it goes back offense and defensive ranking all the way back through 1921. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Everybody talks about the, the dark years in the 70s and the 80s. Yeah, that was pretty bad, but prior to that, top 10 offense every year except 1922 they were ranked 11th i don't know how many teams were even playing back then but outside of that offense and defense top 10 every year every year 1950 they were ranked 13th in yards otherwise top 10 every category offense and defense from the beginning of the team's inception till 1950 and even then they were just like 12th and 11th and that continued all the way through 1969 starting in 1970 is when things got rocky they had a decent patch 82 83 84 then things got a little rocky 89 they had a good year things got bad again and then Holmgren took over and things have been great pretty much ever since this team is just awesome I'm sorry I'm see this is this is going to be a long episode. That's all there is to it because I just I haven't I haven't talked to you in a while. Give me a break, will you? But you know the bottom line is Joe Philbin. A lot of awesome things happened when he was here. 
when the Packers won the Super Bowl in 2010, he was the offensive coordinator that following year in 2011, the year that everybody remembers as just this unbeatable team, this offense. The defense was no good, but the offense could not be stopped in 2011. He was the offensive coordinator that year. Now, there wasn't this massive drop-off when he left. They were still pretty solid. Um, I think he left in 2012. They were 5th, 8th, and 1st in points, 13th, 3rd, and 6th in yards. So still pretty solid offense, so it wasn't as though he was the man behind it all. I think McCarthy has a lot to do with it. Um, the offensive coordinator that followed him was obviously still pretty talented. But still, Joe Philbin coming back I think makes a lot of sense. I think the Packers' offense was a little bit better. I think he has a great connection with uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers. So pretty excited about that. They want to get back to something that they had there. Um, there's something missing that Joe Philbin had. And uh, I think they're very, very excited to have him back. Um, Joe Philbin obviously went on to be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. After that, he kind of, and that's sort of what happens. I mean, in 2011, when the Packers were unbeatable, the Packers obviously wanted to retain him. But when you're that good, you just can't. And the Miami Dolphins stole him away for a head coaching job. Dolphins weren't that great, so then he went back. He was the offensive line coach slash offensive coordinator, whatever, for the Colts. They got a little bit better. They regressed this past year. He lost his job. Fortunately for us, that's how you get a guy like Joe Philbin to come back. That's how it happens, right? Things are so good. You get a head coaching job. You're not good enough to be a head coach, and then you end up right back where you started. It's an awesome opportunity for the Packers to retain a guy who is just an elite offensive coordinator. Again, he was never fired. He, he left because he was so good that we couldn't retain him. We couldn't hold him back. We couldn't hide him. He was just too good. The only other thing I'll say about Philbin before I move on to our defensive coordinator is that he is first and foremost an offensive line coach. That has been his thing. He also did a a little stint as a a tight end coach for the Packers. But first and foremost, he is an offensive line guy. Our offensive line was nowhere near what it has been. A lot of that has to do with our GM giving away all our guys like Sitton and Lang and Treader. But it also has to do with injuries. Still, you look at a guy like... um, like Corey Lindsley. He's a guy who took a big step backward. You look at a guy like Balaga, he's very up and down. You look at a guy like uh, Jari Evans, if you'd like to be able to prolong his career. I mean, the bottom line is the offensive line needs to be better. We got young, aspiring running backs. We got a quarterback that got sacked four times a game. That's not good enough. So, we, you know, presumably we're going to be drafting quite a few offensive linemen. Whether we do or don't, we might also dabble in free agency to look at some offensive linemen. Either way, it would be pretty beneficial to have an offensive line coach um, as your offensive coordinator. Just another little tidbit about him. Finally, saving the best for last, or at least the most talked about and most sort of exciting thing, would be um, an outsider, which is something the Packers don't do very often, right? We, we kind of keep our own. Even Joe Philbin is one of our own. He is a, a Packers guy. He was, you know, his first shot in the NFL was the Packers. That's where he grew up. That's where he, he cut his teeth, at least in the NFL. But Mike Patton, the guy that I've been calling Mike Patine for I don't know how long, I believe it's pronounced Mike Patton anyways, this guy, he, he comes from the Rex Ryan school. This, this is a different thing. This is the AFC um, you know, out, out with uh, Rex Ryan, with Buffalo, and with the Jets. Completely different system out there. Now, they, these are teams that are big-time defense things. You know, th- this isn't this isn't Dom Capers type stuff. This isn't Vic Fangio, uh, you know, 
typical 3-4 type stuff. This is a completely different system. This is Rex Ryan. You know, they, they run sort of this 4-3-3-4 hybrid or 4-3 under, whatever it's called. Who, who cares, whatever. It's, it's different than what we're doing, but it's similar enough that you don't have to revamp your whole roster, I guess you would say. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a 4-3 that acts as a 3-4, I guess you could call it. There's sort of like four linemen with your 3-4 your linemen, but then your, your outside linebacker is sort of like a defensive lineman. He's an elephant, kind of, you, you, you remember that term, right? Dom Capers kind of played with that a little bit with Julius Peppers playing as the elephant, sort of like a, a down outside linebacker, whatever. It doesn't really matter the scheme. Just saying that's sort of his thing. But in terms of his pedigree, now if you just look at um, stats and numbers, he wasn't my favorite candidate, right? I liked Jack Del Rio for that reason, right? The the stats, the, the yardage and the points just plummeted whenever he was defensive coordinator. Vic Fangio, not nearly as impressed in that specific category. Gus Bradley, I thought was very um, impressive in that category. However, I think a more important metric is if you go over to Football Outsiders and look at this DVOA stuff, that gives you a little bit better of an idea how good these teams were. So first of all, a little insight into his career. He started off at Pitt in college, 93 and 94. He went on to be head coach of a high school. So there you go, head coach of a different high school after that. Then he just jumps from high school to the Baltimore Ravens. (laughs) I don't know how that happens. I've never seen that before, but went from college to high school, to the Ravens as a coaching assistant. He moved up there from to assistant defensive line coach. From there, outside linebackers coach, which is pretty good to diversify. It's going to help your bid for defensive coordinator role, which is what he did after that, starting in 2009 for the Jets. He was Jets defensive coordinator 2009 through 2012. Became the Buffalo Bills defensive coordinator in 2013. And then he was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns 2014-2015. And as best as I can tell, he's been out of work ever since. Now, in terms of raw numbers, um, here's where he stood for defense. Now, Cleveland, obviously, I, I don't have very much in terms of expectations. He, you know, as a head coach, I don't really care too much about that. But as a defensive coordinator in 2013, the Buffalo Bills were 10th in yards, 20th in points, and 6th in takeaways. So, yeah, not bad. Points wasn't great. For the Jets, pretty similar. 8th in yards, 20th in points, 18th in takeaways. The year before that, 5th in yards, 20th in points, 5th in takeaways. Before that, 2010-2009, 3rd in yards, 6th in points, 8th in takeaways. In 2009, and this is really an impressive year, but, you know, it's his first year. How much did he really have an impact? Plus, you got the head coach and all that. But anyways, 1st in yards, 1st in points, 8th in takeaways. Really, really, really incredible. I mean, hands down, in every category, the best defense in the NFL than 2009 New York Jets. Looking at... um, team defense from this football outsider's perspective in 2009 they were ranked first in the NFL strangely enough Packers are ranked second in team defense (laughs) in the NFL in that in 2009 if you can believe that in 2010 the Jets were ranked fifth still very impressive the Super Bowl year Green Bay was ranked second in the NFL just throwing that out there and that this is again this is DV I know they're they're Nobody acknowledges this. Green Bay was maybe top 10, but barely. But this takes into account the competition they were going up against, which means they were this good 
but also went up against this good of, of defenses. Um, if you look at the offenses, excuse me, the offenses they went up against, extremely difficult, right? The, the weighted, if you weight how impressive the offenses were, um, Pittsburgh was ranked number one defense. They, they were up against extremely difficult offenses. So yeah, if you, it was very widely acknowledged, but if you want to know why the Packers won the Super Bowl, it was because their defense was that good. But anyways, the Jets were ranked fifth that year in 2010. 2011, the Packers fell off a cliff. They were ranked like 25th or whatever, but the Jets, second. Still steady Eddie. 2012, his final year with the Jets, the Jets are ranked ninth. So they were top 10 defense every single year that he was with the Jets as their defensive coordinator. Top 10 every single year. In 2013, he went over to Buffalo. In his one year with Buffalo, Buffalo was ranked fourth. The previous year, by the way, before he went there as their defensive coordinator, Buffalo was ranked 27th in defense. He went over to Buffalo, and in their first year, they went from 27th to 4th. Just to give you some insight as to the potential. I'm not saying he's going to do that in Green Bay, but it's not impossible, right? Buffalo is looking at just one of the worst defenses in the NFL. He comes over for one year, and he makes them the fourth best defense in the NFL. Second in pass defense, 19th in rush defense. As best as I can tell, Mike Pettin has a very good reputation with uh, passing defense, which is pretty big for our organization. The next year, he becomes the head coach for the Cleveland Browns. You know, Cleveland Browns still not very good, but however, they were ranked 24th in defense the year before. This year, ranked 11th. I mean, as far as this year, 2014, I'm saying. So he comes over. Cleveland Browns still not a good team, but in terms of his impact on the defense... They jump from 24th to 11th, and he's not even putting all his energy into defense. That's just sort of what happens when you get this guy in the building. Defense has a huge spike in improvement. The following year, Cleveland's defense fell off a cliff. Their offense was terrible, and he was fired, and we have not seen him since. Now, whenever a team is that bad, you're typically going to fire your head coach, but obviously they brought in a new head coach, and things are not all that much better. Now, in terms of fit, there are some concerns with him. The one thing that, and I had talked to somebody on Twitter about this, I wasn't completely buying it. He seemed to be very impressed by Vic Fangio. Um, I'm still not entirely sure why his, his numbers are not all that impressive. But apparently, um, the, the one thing that sort of got me excited about Vic Fangio is the idea that apparently, and I don't know if this is true, but this was sort of the reputation that I had started to hear about him, is that he is very simple in terms of a defensive coordinator. He tends to simplify things and um, just kind of work on fundamentals, which is something that I've been saying that the Packers need um, rather than Dom Capers. Dom Capers is a genius, but his, his his schemes are way too complex, and the, the defense that we have just can't really execute it. Vic Fangio comes in. He's a much more simplistic kind of guy, so it changes things up. you got young guys. You've got whatever. And he, he just works on improving the defense through fundamentals and just playing good, solid defense. Typically, you're not going to be the number one defense in the NFL with a guy like that, but you can get better, right? Dallas, I always talk about Dallas was kind of that way. They had a horrible defense. And then they lose a bunch of pieces, and they bring in a guy, and they don't really have a lot of real good pieces, but they they just keep getting better at defense anyways. The Bears were kind of a similar thing. Not a lot of great players, but they got a little bit better every single year, and they're kind of ranked around 10th-ish. And all the guys on the team did get a little bit better, right? They, they, 
players just seem to get better under Vic Fangio. So, again, not elite defense, but good for what you've got to work with. And I felt like that would work with the Packers. Now, Mike Pettin is the kind of guy that can give you a number one defense. But his scheme is very similar to Dom Capers insofar as the complexity. He's he's sort of a Dom Capers, not, not Dom Capers in terms of like Vic Fangio was a Dom Capers guy in terms of scheme and all that stuff. I'm talking he's a Dom Capers guy in terms of his reputation as being extremely intelligent. He has, uh, you know, complex schemes and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of concern in terms of are we going to be in a similar situation where he's very complex and runs these complex schemes and our guys can't execute it. And I think this is going to tell us a lot about our team. It's going to tell us a lot about Dom Capers. It's going to tell us a lot about Mike Pettin. And it's going to tell us a lot about this new structure at the top. And the reason I say that is we're all assuming that that's the problem in Green Bay, that Dom Capers is just too smart and that our guys can't execute it. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I don't know. Um, you know, you listen to guy like, guys like Demarius Randall, and you get the impression that Dom Capers was just figured out. His scheme was just old. Everybody kind of knew what he was doing. Everybody knew how to pick it apart. So if that's the case, it has nothing to do with scheme complexity. It had to do with Dom Capers getting stale. Furthermore, even if it is a complexity thing, now that there is this new line of communication, Mike Pettin comes in, he says, these are the players I need. He talks to, and they're, they're, they have these weekly meetings now. Not, I don't think Pettin is involved in that, but he can get his, his voice out there and say, look, these are the players I need for my scheme. And also, this is the sort of intelligence level that I need for my scheme. Mike McCarthy can convey that to Gutekunst and to uh, Mark Murphy and this whole new communication thing that we've got going on with Russ Ball involved. And we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what kind of players we acquire. We'll see what kind of players we acquire through the draft. We'll have to keep an eye through the draft on guys that have a reputation for being um, real intelligent football players. And also through the free agency process. You know, we we got to look at guys that uh, maybe spent a little time under Mike Pettin, guys that know the system, guys that uh, understand how to execute what he's done over there, guys in Cleveland that he coached, guys in in New York, and guys in uh, well, New York, <laughs> Buffalo. It'll be very interesting. I, bottom line is, I'm very excited. I think we have an incredibly talented defensive coordinator. I think. You know, as much as the the thought process is that it was, Dom Capers was too complex, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Um, you know, I think when there's big wide open gaps on third down, I don't know that complexity is the issue. Occasionally you see broken coverages, but usually that you can identify the player, right? Josh Jones, I think, had a real hard time keeping up with Dom Capers. I think maybe it takes time to get acclimated to it, but I think a lot of these guys know it. I think Demarius Randall understands it. I think, you know, HaHa Clinton Dix understands it. I think our defensive linemen understand it. I don't think that it was a, a huge mental thing necessarily. It takes time when it's complex, but I think a lot of these guys got it. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that complexity is the biggest issue with this team. I think maybe it went stale. I think Dom Capers was, as I said, he people kind of figured him out. They knew what to do. You know, again, on third down, third and 20, how many Packers fans are sitting there going, well, that's a guaranteed first down? Guaranteed. And it was. Almost every 50% of the time, at least, on third and long, it's going to get completed. They knew what to do. So if nothing else, we got a new guy in there who's got new ideas. And it's, it's a different, 
what's cool about it again in, in Fangio I know it's it was a long time ago but it's there's certain systems and certain schemes that that kind of operate and different defensive philosophies and to go outside of that to get a different kind of I mean this is sort of that AFC East you know Buffalo New York you know Patriots it's just got a different feel and different style to it and and for the record Green Bay going up against Mike Pettin just not good at all the the Jets obliterated um, Aaron Rodgers, as did Buffalo. Very, very difficult defenses to play against. So it'll be fun to see what he brings. And, it, and it, he brings that now to the NFC North. So the NFC North has become familiar with um, our defense more than anybody. They understand our tendencies on defense. This is a different game now. This is, this is New York Jets-style football coming to Lambeau Field. That, that's exciting to me. I mean, these are, these are angry. These are teams who are defensive football teams. These are teams that are led by defense. These are teams that their offense maybe struggles, but you know what? You're going up against some hard-nosed defense. Defense is a point of pride out there, and that's coming to Green Bay. That's, that's, that's where our defensive coach is coming from. That's what he's bringing to this defense, this attitude, this feeling of we are what makes this, this team strong. That excites me. Joe Philbin's coming back to Green Bay. Some of the best offensive football we've ever seen was under Joe Philbin. He is coming back to Green Bay. We've got a new structure that I really like um, at the top end, which is Gutekunst, who who has a good philosophy all around, which isn't just let's just spend money in free agency. I think that's silly. I think the fans are getting carried away with that. There's a time and a place. Ted Thompson understood there was a time and a place, but in terms of you know, not just filling holes, but to say we need competition, and we're going to get competition through the draft, we're going to get competition through free agency, we're going to get a pile of guys, and we're going to f- make sure that every single position is stocked with talent, that our coaches have the players that they need, but also that there is going to be competition to make sure everybody realizes that their job is not safe so that we have everybody playing at an optimal level. It doesn't matter what your name is, it doesn't matter how long you've been here, you better perform or you're out, and that's it. And I think that's key. I think there's too many people who are not performing that have, that, are, that every year they're back on this team, every year. And from the top down, we're seeing that enough is enough. right? Dom Capers wasn't performing. He came back every year. Enough is enough. He's gone. We're getting a new guy in here. Even offense. Offense was pretty good. Guess what? Not good enough. You're out. We got new people coming in. Nobody's job is safe, including Mike McCarthy. He got a one-year ex- extension. Even Mike McCarthy, your job is not safe. Nobody's job is safe. Clay Matthews, you better watch out, man. You, you had a decent year this year, but it wasn't quite good enough. You better step up because your job is not safe. Nick Perry, you got a big contract. I don't want you feeling safe and secure in your job. Haha, Clinton Dix, what's up with the regression, man? What's going on with that? That's not acceptable. You think you can't be replaced? In a second, you can be replaced. You need to step up. Everybody needs to step up. This regressing nonsense needs to stop. Everybody needs to continue to perform better. It's a new day. It's a new era in Green Bay, and we have talent to execute. Aaron Rodgers is the greatest in the NFL. We have wide receivers that are fantastic. We have talented offensive linemen. We have young, aspiring running backs. 
We have a defensive line with Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels that is incredible. We have young and ascending guys at linebacker, at inside linebacker, with Blake Martinez, who took a massive leap, uh, Jake Ryan, who has taken a step every single year. We have very, very good safeties. We have young and talented corners that maybe just need some, some solid coaches that know how to use these guys and their talents and how to coach them up with Kevin King and with Josh Jones. The, the talent is there. You add a draft where we have 13 picks, 13 picks, and we have a new defensive coordinator who says, here's what I need to round out this defense. Here's what we're missing. Here's what we need. We have Mike McCarthy saying, here's what's missing. Here's what we need. Joe Philbin, here's what I need to execute what I have. 13 draft picks. Incredible. And then after that, we have free agency. We have the draft. We get to play with these pieces. We get to see what's going on. And beyond that, we can say, here's here's what we need. Here's what we didn't get in the draft. Here's maybe what could help in terms of competition. We're not so sure about this position. Here's a guy over here. Let's bring him in. Let's see what we can do. And at the start of the season, assuming everybody does what they say, we're going to have a very talented roster and every single position is going to have a lot of talent in it and that's something that the Packers have never really had so I'm excited and I hate that the season is now it's it's still not even over (laughs) we'll call it last year's season is still not over yet because I want to get next year's season started and I think that's where we're going to go from now on I, I've been fully immersed in the draft for quite a while. I have my own YouTube channel if you want to see it. It's uh, uh, Pack Daddy NFL. Go check it out on YouTube. It's a lot of fun if you're a draft person. But even so, if you're not, I'm going to be focusing on that here in the podcast. You know, We'll still do news and notes whenever it comes up, but uh, the draft is the next big thing. And uh, now that we have a new offensive and defensive coordinator. I'm going to be looking very hard at their tendencies and the kinds of things that they like and trying to apply that to the 2018 draft to see who exactly fits what these guys are doing. And I I'm, I'm, could not be more excited. I can't remember a time when the season ended and I was this happy. Just cannot think of a time. Because the Packers have been on top for a very long time. They took a tiny step back, which maybe you can call it a big step, but we had an injury. As a result, we took a step back, and they blew the whole thing up, and we're looking at five more years, however long we extend Rodgers, of just pure dominance. It's exciting. I'm excited. So that's it. I'm leaving it. I'm leaving it at that. We'll be back on here. I'm, I'm trying to stick to once a week. That's what I'm planning. We'll see how much there is to talk about. I don't want to, you know, I mean, I could probably do three episodes in a row of the draft, but then I have nothing else to talk about, and I can't really talk to you for quite a while. So unless there's any real big news, we'll plan on um, maybe Saturday at the earliest or next week. We'll see how it goes. I'm excited. I'd love to start talking about the draft tomorrow, but I, w- I need to pace myself. We have several weeks until the draft, and the combine is coming up, which will be interesting. But um, we'll, we'll be talking, and we're going to be working through this. i got a lot of work to do to try to figure out these guys' tendencies and uh, the kind of players that they like. Also looking at free agents that might have come from these guys' system that are available. Um, I know there is a big-name guy uh, at wide receiver who's coming out, Jarvis Landry. Um, This just popped into my head now. Where is Jarvis Landry from? Miami, who was his coach for a very long time, Joe Philbin. Just saying, Joe Philbin was the head coach when they drafted him in 2014. He was there the next year, too. So... Just saying, that just popped into my head now, but there's going to be a lot more of that, looking deep into this stuff, what guys are available, and uh, what our connection to that is and how they would fit our scheme. 
you know, it's it's something that's very unlikely. If this was if this was uh, 2016, 15, 14, I would have said Jarvis Landry has no chance of being on this team. But go looking ahead, you never know. There's we have the connection with Joe Philbin. We have the need at wide receiver. We have a guy that's ready to create competition at positions that maybe there wasn't before where there's complacency. We need we need wide receivers with speed. We need guys that can separate. Jarvis Landry, incredibly talented. Just saying, just putting it out there. You folks have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you hopefully in the very near future. I don't want to stop talking, but I have to have a good day. Goodbye. <laughs>